a home. It's something we all need. But for too many, having a safe place to make a home is out of reach. The challenges can seem insurmountable. And yet, each and every day, people are coming together to provide safe, quality, and affordable housing for those in need. Welcome to Let's Talk Housing. I'm your host, Sarah Goldvine. Join us as we listen to and learn from people in British Columbia who are creating strong, inclusive communities where everyone can thrive. In the 2020 British Columbia Provincial Homeless Count, 39% of respondents identified as Indigenous, despite Indigenous people only representing 6% of the population. But these numbers don't tell us how or why a person becomes homeless. Recognizing the limitations of these counts, a group of Indigenous leaders set out to share stories of Indigenous homelessness. The result is the Where Are All My Relations video series. Today on Let's Talk Housing, we're joined by two leaders of this project. Simogik Sabak, Dr. Patrick Stewart, Director of Homelessness Services with Luma Native Housing Society, and Joseph Kafka, filmmaker and storyteller with Little Bird Media. Before we get underway, I would like to acknowledge I'm recording from the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, on whose lands I am deeply grateful to live and work. Also, in full transparency, this episode is being recorded in September of 2023 and reflects conversations at that time. Patrick, welcome. I'll hand it to you. Thank you, Sarah. I am very uh, glad to be here. I'm calling in from the traditional unceded territory of the Chukwuek peoples near Chilliwack, BC. Thank you so much for joining us today. as I mentioned in the opening, we've we've spoken a lot and we talk a lot in the housing sector about rates of homelessness. Um, as much as we talk less about the stories and pathways into homelessness, um, can you start by telling us, Patrick, just a little bit about why it was so important for um, for you and for others who've been working on this project to make. To, to create the space for, for storytelling? Because it is important. And my own family history starts when I was born. So I was born homeless. Uh, my mom was unable to take me from the hospital. And that started my journey. And it has affected myself and my siblings our li- all our lives. And uh, it continues. And now, Working as an architect, um, you know, we're still designing and building housing for children in care. So the problem is greater today than than ever, and we need to find better solutions. Joseph, I'd like to bring you in here too. Um, you know, you you came to this project because you're a storyteller. What do you think? Uh, resonates for people differently when they hear the stories of of people, of individuals like Patrick that doesn't come through when we look at numbers and data. Yeah, for me, numbers and data, um, it's it's a non, I think it's a non-human way of communicating. Um, As people, we can only connect with so many people. It's just the way we're hired, hardwired. And so story... 
uh, for lack of better words, um, uh, bridges the gap between two different people, right? It's a sh- if you want to create empathy and, um, and empathy leads to action, you need to start with story. And, and if you want understanding, you need, you need story. Uh, and if you want to connect two different people that are on two different spectrums, right? They're very different from each other. The shortest distance is going to be through story sitting down talking to one another. That's usually how we've done it for thousands and thousands of years around a fire or, you know, or a stadium or right now in podcasts. Um, and uh, documentary storytelling and filmmaking is just an expansion of that. So speaking of stories, um, let's listen to one of the clips. And the term homeless? No, I wasn't homeless. I was home. I just didn't have a roof over my head and a place that I could call home, my house, my apartment, whatever. I was in my homeland. And it's always really struck me as that I didn't realize that maybe my ancestors were calling me to a safe area to help me to find that vision of I wanted to heal and how to do it. And it was given to me as a gift. Patrick, what comes up for you when you listen to that, I relate to what he just said, because for me too, going home to my territory has that same feeling of coming home and knowing that that's where my family has lived for you know, generations until you know, residential school yanked uh, my family away from the territory. So I, I definitely can, uh, I don't know what's the word, empathize or, you know, with him. Yeah. So we talk a lot, we call it the housing sector, right? We talk, we talk about homelessness um, and we don't always talk about what it means to be home and whether or not that is or is not the same thing as having a house. <laughs> um, what What do you think the housing sector and, and people in housing need to learn from Indigenous perspectives on on what it means to be home or to be without a home, Patrick? That's a good question because today we have so many people here on the West Coast from all across the country. They aren't home. Their home may be somewhere else, but you know, they are without a house. If that's, you know, if they're experiencing homelessness, um, And that's an issue because in this country under, you know, the colonial government, housing, quote unquote housing, has been made a provincial matter. So provinces want money themselves to build housing. Canada Mortgage and Housing, which is a federal agency, sort of is how would I say it, a toothless agency right now. Get in trouble for that one. But, um, you know, up until the mid-90s, they were building housing and providing housing across the country. And by 93, social housing programs were shut down. And, you know, the provinces picked it up. Some provinces better than others. Some provinces 
not yeah, not so well. And it's an issue. And you know, for people that are you know wanting to have a life in a particular place, and there is no housing, you know, that's a, a gateway to being what we now call homelessness. And we have to do better. You know, we, we hear the politicians talking, you know, we're a rich country, we shouldn't have so many people homeless. You know, we did our homeless count in Vancouver earlier this year, and, you know, we still have thousands of people on the street. Yeah. There's no, seems to be no easy answer. Nobody's got a magic wand to, uh, you know, house people. And it's bigger than housing. You know, the the whole colonial enterprise um, has started uh, hundreds of years ago. And it really has knocked the stuffing out of, out of nations. You know, it's taken us apart. You know, we talk about the genocide. We talk about... Um, residential schools, we talk about missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Um, it continues. We have the foster care system that has not gone away. And, you know, it's a very complex issue. Yeah, it's so complex. And um, even this project has been complex, right? Uh, for for our listeners to, to understand, this has been... We're talking about a video series that has been years in the making. It's taken um, um, time to do it well and do it right. Uh, and it's been Indigenous-led. Pedrick, can you tell us a little bit about the, um, you know, the work that, that you and the rest of the working group and including, including Luma um, have done just to ensure that this project has been Indigenous, Indigenous-led and the content is owned by the Indigenous communities. We thought it was important that we had, quote-unquote, ownership of the videos. Um, we worked closely with Joseph to make sure that the stories that were told are authentic and um, meaningful. And, you know, thanks to Joseph, he <laughs> put a lot of miles on his van and traveled the province. and. Um, captured stories that I think people will hear for the first time and go, wow, that's happening here where I live or, you know, the, the breadth of the issue I think will be surprising to people. Wouldn't you agree, Joseph? I would agree. I think, um, going back to, um, uh, the clip earlier, um, uh, his name is uh, Michael Ochoa. He's from the Silk First Nations, uh, in the Okanagan. And, I think his clip there and his video speaks to the, um, uh, the, the broader meaning of home, right. Um, that, um, we're kind of stuck in this weird place where the way it's defined, um, by, uh, housing agencies and, and generally in, in most people's minds is something with four walls. All right. Kind of something that we're in right now, which is very pragmatic and well and good for, for many purposes. Um, but, um, I mean, in the documentary, I, I, I pose this question, you know, what if, um, we had put everybody into that, that was outside, 
um, or considered homeless into a house. Right. And I think, um, Michael and, uh, another individual in one of the other stories, uh, answered that question for us. It, it, it um, uh, homelessness would still, would still be, uh, rampant, right? Uh, the, the persons may have a house, may have a home, but be homeless. Right. And for him, uh, the, the beginning of that journey of, of coming home was uh, healing from intergenerational trauma. And that's come up, um, uh, in a number of the stories. And, uh, and that's really something that would have been missed if we're talking about numbers, if we're just talking about, um, if we decided to tell stories to rather than hear stories from, right. And just receive that, um, which is the end goal of, of storytelling or documentary filmmaking in, in my case. And, and, um, and so that was the whole uh, strategy behind, um, traveling in my van up and down BC for a while there and, and, uh, really just hearing from people and allowing other people to hear that. And, um, and so you can be home and, um, be homeless. Right. You know, just if you mentioned there, just the, the amount of thought and care that was put into collecting these stories. And as you mentioned, people are sharing stories of deep trauma. Um, how, how were you able to create a space where people would feel safe um sharing their stories with you and ultimately with a with a much broader audience i think it comes from my first principle um which is um take the time to to listen first and what they need and what they want to share first or if they even want to share right you know uh, um, right off the bat um as we're planning uh, at the very beginning the stories i made sure that there was a lot of time up front where I can spend time traveling and, and um, building that, that trust. Um, and then going back there right afterwards. And so I went into these different communities and talked to different, different persons. Some persons uh, chose not to be on film and things like that. And the persons that you will see in the films uh, did choose. And um, it was about respecting their space and uh, honoring their story and uh, allowing them to feel that authenticity from me. Um, and that takes time and patience, right? And being okay as an artist, uh, that they might say no. And that means your artwork, you know, is, is contingent upon that. They might in the end say no, and you've done all this work and then suddenly it's gone. You need to be okay with that because it's not yours. Right. Um, and, uh, most filmmakers or, um, I guess other creatives, they, f- they feel like it's theirs. It's very close to them and things like that. And I get that. Um, and, but when you're dealing with such, um, intimate stories, there needs to be, um, a two-way street of vulnerability. And, um, and I think that's kind of what, what I bring to the table. Um, I myself where it was, uh, in a lot of those situations when I was younger, um, I was, uh, homeless myself with my family, um, for about a year and 15, 16, and spent a lot of time, um, struggling, uh, to find belonging, uh, to find my balance and find that healing in my twenties. And, uh, I spent a lot of time on couches and things like that and just trying to figure things out. Um, and so, um, I, I, um, I can come at it with a lot of empathy and patience. I think what Joseph was able to do, at least for myself, I know is he made us as comfortable as we could make ourselves. Uh, he came into our space and 
we spoke and, and filmed there. And, you know, that puts you at ease and you're able to tell your story more comfortably. And I think, you know, that was one of the things that I, I appreciated from the filmmaking that uh, Joseph uh, did. So your story is, is part of this series, Patrick, and there's nine others as well. Um, what if now, now that this series is done and it's starting to be released and by the time this, ep- this podcast episode airs, this, the videos will be even further, will have reached even more people. What, what, what do you think that, ex- what has the experience been like for you and for other people whose stories are now out there in the world? I think that now that it's done, I don't think about it. I think, um, that's a bit of an awkward way to say it, but, um, I was interested in participating just because of, as I you know, previously mentioned, the dire straits our communities find ourselves still in. We, and, you know, there's so many youth that are struggling and, you know, if my story can help even one person, um, then, you know, uh, as a, you know, a, a way forward, then, then that's good. It's a powerful series. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to share another clip from, from the series. Hope for kids and children is for them to know they do belong and they are cared for. We have uh, 62 house, who we call them, will, and every child matters, every child belongs. And they need to know, whether they're adults, teens, or what have you, that they belong to a mother clan and they belong to a father clan. Joseph, can you tell us um, what comes up for you when you think back on collecting that that part of that story? I think I spent the most amount of my time in Gitsan Nation. Um, and um, I don't think I've ever felt more welcome. And to see how they are um, making not only strangers such as myself, but their their very children that come from their territory who have been dispersed into other parts of the country um, and the foster care system um, and how innovative and um, um, they're trying to be to bridge that gap and change things. Um, was overwhelming, was um, just a wonderful experience. Um, I still have some food that I'm still eating <laughs> from, from the, from the visit up there. And, and, um, <laughs> um, and it's something that I wish that um, I experienced when I was younger. My um, my community is in uh, Manitoba, and I only had one chance to visit it. Actually, I'm going back uh, next week out in um, 
Dog Creek and Lake Manitoba. And so I've never had a lot of opportunity to feel that connection. Um, and for a brief period, um, when I was younger, um, um, I think, um, between eight and 12, my parents were foster parents. And so, um, just seeing how, uh, um, how the, uh, those, um, those kids struggled and then later I struggled, um, it would have been nice to have a familiar face or, or, um, uh, a community kind of behind you that wanted you, right. Even though you, you couldn't be there, they, they wanted you to be there and made you feel like you belonged. Um, that, that could have changed a lot that was going on inside you. And, uh, for some of the stories, um, that did change other people. There's, um, what really comes through for me is the importance of belonging. I've heard this many times I've been asked from, from many, many bands, can you check up on this person? Can you check up on this person? They sent a picture and I, I, luckily find them. And I said, I'd say, yeah, your, your chief asked me to look into you, see if you're okay. And on two or three occasions, that person would, in the alley, in that doorway, soaking wet, cold, hungry, they start crying. And when they finish crying, they go, I can't believe my nation cares about me. I can't believe my family cares about me. You know, and that's, that's so powerful. That's powerful. So there's no better feeling than is, there are people that are down here that to know that their nation has sent somebody to come look for them. Patrick, so much of this work is happening on the streets and on territories where folks are far from their home territories. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the importance of that work? As uh, Joseph mentioned, just giving the Kitan example, the kids, the children in care are spread out across the country. And The uh, Gitsan Nation has a program called uh, Bringing the Children Home. So they are actively seeking out their children in care. And I myself went through that. I'm a member of the Niska Nation. And I was living in Montreal when somebody from the Niska Nation came to Montreal and found me and said, What are you doing here? And you know, would you like to come home? And I did. And, you know, that was my first connection back to the nation. And, you know, it, it's like this person in the clip said, it's amazing that, you know, you are not forgotten. There are people out there that do um, want you and want to bring you back. And, it is a powerful, powerful feeling because the feeling of abandonment is a really big, huge thing inside of you when you grew up cut off from your nation and your family because you think, nobody wants me. How, how else could I be discarded like that? Right? And so there is so much to do, so much 
work to be done. And I think we're just seeing the sort of the tip of the iceberg just because we have so many people still on the streets. Yeah, there really is still a long way to go. But Patrick, what do you think are the major, major takeaways from this video series? Like, what do you, what do you think needs to change? The system needs to change. I think the, the policies at the governmental levels, federal, provincial, they need to change. They have to stop taking the children. There has to be different mechanisms that support families, not break the families down. You know, child and family um, organizations get paid for every child that's in care. And, you know, there needs to be more work done to not take that child out of the community, but to keep the child in there to provide uh, supports to the family. One of the programs, for example, Good Sound Nation has is the Strengthening Families program that does exactly that. They work with those families before they're broken apart and trying to keep that family together. Uh, it's There's a lot to do, and, and I think government legislation needs to better support that, for sure. And I think we need within our nations to better support that. It, it's There's still a lot of fighting going on for the small resources that are available. So I, I think, you know, there needs to be better resources for nations to be able to bring their children home. I agree. If, if you're, based most university students or social workers, things like that, they would say that they're against colonial, colonialization, right? Or colonialism. But um, the foster care system itself uh, taking children outside of their their land and their nation is a colonial act, right? Um, uh, and that um, destroys families and destroys um, uh, nations and especially their sovereignty. And so, if we want to um, have you know a long term strategy of uh, rebuilding that independence, the sovereignty, and we actually care about those things, right? Um, I mean, that's part of land acknowledgements, right? I, that means. Uh, actually following through with that and stopping some of these practices or um, uh, putting resources in to um, rebuild uh, uh, what, what has been weakened, which is that um, individual sovereignty or national sovereignty and strength within the community to take care of their own. And that's something that Gitsan has, has built up and strengthened. That's what Heisla is doing. Um, and organizations like, uh, uh, James Harry from the video that, um, that you just played, uh, he has a, um, a ministry, uh, all nations outreach, I think it was, is what it's called. Um, well, we link to it at the end of the video. Um, and that's what he does is he teaches other nations how to begin to do that outreach, you know, find that person that, um, uh, has those connections or is already doing it themselves like him. and um, give that person the resources to be able to go out there and do that, right? And, and make those reconnections. And it might take a while, but we need to be committed to that, um, to these changes and these new new ways of doing things. I want to squeeze in one last question. 
Um, I'm going to ask it of each of you, but I'll start with you, Joseph. Uh, for people who are listening to this podcast and um, for people who are non-Indigenous and want to do something to help advance decolonization and address some of the some of these challenges, what what, what would your advice be? That's a challenging one. It's so so out there. I mean, it can be as as much as allowing or listening like I did, right? Um, um, allowing um, stories and voices to come to the front, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it can be as simple as that, simple as a beer and a story. Um, understanding that hurt. Um, and I think... It needs to begin with because um, people, people when when they actually hear that hear the question, immediately they they want some big action like, "Oh, we're going to change this law, we're going to do this." But like I said in one of my earlier comments, that that might take a long time because these a lot of these strengths need to um, uh, come from within, and then also you know also for, re, be rebuilt in the communities as well, and that takes time. Um, so. I think the first thing you can do is um, have empathy and patience, right? Not only for yourself, but also for um, uh, Indigenous persons around you. Seek to understand and listen, right? And uh, something may come up. An opportunity might come up for something, you know, later. It may not be big, you know, small things matter. And how about you, Patrick? I mean, as you've mentioned, there's still, there's still a long ways to go. What, what, what would you urge listeners of this podcast to, to do if they want to follow up on what they've learned today? Continue learning. There's lots to learn about history of colonization and our school systems, if we want to talk about education, um, do not do a very good job of teaching our country about colonization. And I think there's a a lot that everyone can learn. There's a lot to be learned before you can really do any action. Uh, colonization has been with us for 500 years uh, and it may take another 500 years to get beyond it. It's not going to be necessarily within our lifetime, but for me, if we can move the needle a little bit, then, you know, that might be uh, a step in the right direction. If, uh, you know, it's going to be multi-generational which is okay. If it's my grandchildren that are pushing the issues, then that's okay. Uh, as long as I know that I've done what I can to you know, further the, the fight or the resistance to uh, colonization, then I'm happy with that. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Patrick. Really appreciate you spending uh, time with us today. Um, 
we will be sharing uh, links to this series in the show notes. Um, so I encourage everyone to check those out and learn more. Let's talk again soon. To learn more about BC Housing, including how to apply for subsidized housing in British Columbia, visit bchousing.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and X. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating. This will help others find Let's Talk Housing and join the conversation. You can subscribe to Let's Talk Housing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To watch the Where Are All My Relations video series, find the Illuminative Housing Society channel on YouTube or visit their website, lnhs.ca.